you know, there's all these different modalities and methods of breathing, but then looking at, okay, what are the underlying principles that connect all of them? And, and then when you understand those, then you can actually be more purpose driven with your breath. Welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hello, beautiful humans, cats, dogs, I don't know who's listening. This is our first episode, so thank you for tuning in, whoever you are. Today's conversation is with Reese Peluso, the co-founder of Our Breath Collective, and we're going to go deep into all things breathwork, as well as traverse some of Reese's life that led him to becoming a nature junkie and breathwork guide, among other things. We kick off in the beginning with a little breathwork exercise, so if you're into that sort of thing and happen to be driving, pull over, get safe, take a little moment to relax to yourself. And if you haven't done any breath work before, get comfortable somewhere, relax for a moment, and see what it's all about. Without further ado, let's get into this with Reese Peluso. Our guest today is Reese Peluso. Reese is a successful entrepreneur who helped co-found and run brands like Corduroy TV, Monda Sun Care, Social Supply, and most recently, Our Breath Collective where he's the co-founder and one of the leading breathwork guides. He's also a surfer, husband, a rad dad of two beautiful daughters. You can find Reese on Instagram at Reese Peluso or at Our Breath Collective. Reese. Yes. So stoked to have you on what is the first episode of Nature Junkie Radio. What an honor. I'm really stoked and I wanted to bring it back to the very beginning. We met in Bali, <laughs> of all weird places, yeah. um, from a cosmic standpoint. I, uh, my wife and I were living in Australia at the time. You were on your honeymoon with Daniela. And now we come to today, and I just want to start out with thinking about that journey from Bali to now with a huge amount of gratitude for you. Um, because I reconnected with you after Bali, um, my life has gotten way better on so many levels i've met so many cool people and friends you have this amazing ability to draw uh really cool people together great human beings um and through that i know i've learned to be a lot more vulnerable as a human being just want to share that gratitude uh for you and i know my life is way better with you in it so i wanted to start there (laughs) thanks i'm blushing (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's true, man. I think about all the people we've met through breath, yoga, camping, whatever, surfing, and yeah, my life's so much better on so many levels. So thank you. I appreciate it. And really stoked to have you as the first guest. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to be here and the feeling is mutual. Been a great mentor and friend and surf partner and collaborator. So, um, yeah, funny how life brings you people at certain points and sometimes you go away and then you come back together and here we are. Awesome. Um, well, 
have this concept with Nature Junkie that I call microdosing nature, which mm -hmm. is essentially, you know, just breaking nature connection into small, frequent doses. Um, I think it's easy to get hung up thinking about nature connection as this, you know, this, you know, massive, we have to go on this crazy expedition, you know, and that's the only way to connect with nature. That's really cool. Nothing against that. If you want to macrodose nature, that's <laughs> amazing. Um, and I wish it on more people. At the same time, like in modern life, you know, we can't just leave it to those macrodoses because it's unrealistic. And I want to help people incorporate nature connection um, way more frequently on a day-to-day -day basis wherever they're at. Mm -hmm. So breath is one of the ways to microdose nature. Um, and I thought it'd be awesome to just have you start us off with a microdose of nature and just do, let's start off with one quick, easy breath technique that everyone can do. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think just starting closing your eyes and bringing your attention inward into your being and noticing your physical body, if you're sitting on the chair or in the car, feeling your butt against the seat or the ground, wherever you are, your feet. Noticing a little layer deeper, your emotional state of being. Maybe there's a word that encapsulates how you're feeling right now. And then just being aware of your breath without changing it, but really just feeling the fluidity of the breath, the movement of the breath. And then through your nose, taking a nice smooth breath in and let it out through your nose. And again, through your nose and let it out through your mouth. And then through your mouth. And then out through your mouth. And last one in through your mouth. And out through your nose. And then just returning back to your normal breath. Noticing how you feel now. Four simple breaths. And blinking your eyes open. And that's really just the pathways of breath. So our nose and mouth in combination with one another, it's just a great way to feel into the breath and the different ways you can take it in and let it go. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Uh, that helped ground me being the first podcast. I've got a few little jitters. So <laughs> good to work those out early. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was self-serving the breath uh, piece up front. All good. I'm sure everyone benefits from it. So, But yeah, and uh, hopefully if you were driving, you pulled over uh, <laughs> before doing that. Um, okay. Well, with that, let's, uh, let's jump into nature connection a little deeper as it relates to your life and experience. So... Um, What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you in nature or that you've ever experienced in nature? Uh, well, probably when I was seven years old, I was in Mammoth with my family and some family friends. And I was sitting on the edge of the pool, frozen pool, mind you. Uh, and as a rambunctious seven-year-old would. My nickname when I was a kid was Wrecker Reese. Sitting on the edge of the pool, kicking the ice, I was next to a family friend, his name's Kino, and 
somehow ended up slipping and falling into the pool and had all of my ski gear on and pretty much went straight to the bottom in the deep end. And interestingly enough, my now wife jumped in and pulled me out. <laughs> um, so just to close the loop on that, uh, my wife's mom and my mom have known each other since fifth grade and always been family friends. Went on a lot of trips together as a kid. She's seven years older than I am. And so she was sort of the babysitter. And um, so I was with her brother, who's uh, a couple years older than I am. He's my sister's age. And so we were all together in, in Mammoth. And that was my first, uh, I guess, experience with the cold. <laughs> and looping to where I am now, definitely have been exploring the cold and, and, and then obviously to have her be the one to pull me out and I guess she saved her husband. <laughs> wow. That is, I think you maybe told me that at one point, but it's all hitting super fresh right now. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you were seven and you fell into the pool and she, she's the one that yanked you out. And yeah, she jumped in and pulled me out and like I said, I had all my ski gear on, so I just sunk. And, uh, yeah, I just remember being, I don't remember a lot about it. I mean, I definitely remember falling in, but what I actually remember the most is being inside with fresh clothes on, sitting next to the furnace, like that was cranked up and shivering and just being so bummed that I couldn't be outside playing in the snow with my sister and her brother and her and, I'll never forget that. Like I could see, I could see the furnace, you know, like I just remember that feeling of like being so bummed that I wasn't able to be outside playing and yeah, this is wild, wow. wild experience. Okay. So that's crazy. Um, and that it ties full circle with, um, with Daniela and the fact that you guys got married many years later Yeah, and made a beautiful family. Um, well, I, uh, that's a super good thing to bring up this concept of nature connection called biophobia. So when you think about things that prevent people from connecting more deeply with nature, we think about the, there's a concept called biophilia, which is this like affinity we have for nature, just this innate affinity. The flip side of that is biophobia, which is a fear of nature essentially, yeah. which is also deep seated in us, but usually you know, tied to the obvious things you think of like snakes and spiders, right? Which we're sort of like hardwired to, um, avoid or notice really quickly so that we can stay alive. Yeah. Um, but I had never really thought about biophobia from a, you know, falling into a pool with all your ski gear on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh I don't think gosh. I ever really was afraid of frozen water or anything after that. Um, nothing that ever like really resulted from that, I would say, but that's good. Yeah. Let's cut back to, well, wherever it occurs occurred for you in life, what was your first sort of aha moment in nature where you realized, whoa, there's something pretty big and magical at play here? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I actually did a lot of camping with my grandparents growing up. Uh, they had a motor home and we would just put my sister and I will just pile in with them and, and go to various different places. We used to go to this lake. I, I don't remember the name of it. Um, but I just 
I don't think that there's one moment that I had like an aha. I just remember a lot of good times, like being outside and exploring, hiking. I was, as a kid, I hated walking and hiking. <laughs> um, but I always remember the feeling of when you get to the place that you're going and just being like, holy cow, you know, and I, I remember being in Yosemite actually, um, doing a long hike to one of the waterfalls and was just probably one of the times at that young age where I wasn't like thinking about, Oh, this is terrible hiking. I just remember like charging with my mm. sister, like way ahead of my parents and getting to the top of this waterfall and just being like really engrossed in the nature there of like seeing this powerful water and the view and like the accomplishment of doing this hike and being like minutes before my parents. Um, so I think that probably comes to mind. I mean, I remember definitely very vividly being in Yosemite as, as a kid and, and experiences there with as a young kid. And then even like in middle school, um, I think I told you mm -hmm. we, we hiked Yosemite falls in the snow and remember being soaking wet and coming back <laughs> and, going into our little A-frame cabin thing that we were staying with, you know, four other seventh graders and just like going wild. And so I don't know. I mean, I've been lucky. My parents, we traveled a lot as, uh, as a family and just going really cool places. I mean, I went to Hawaii a lot as a kid and just remember how much I loved being there with no shoes on and just being at the beach as a kid. And, and so it's really always been a part of my life. And, and so I don't think it was like I was coming from like a city and then going to nature and being like, Oh my gosh, this is like a big thing. It was just kind of always something that was there for me and, and a part of my life. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I can't think of like one moment where I was just like, right. holy cow, you know? Yeah. It sounds like it was a lot more integrated in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And w one thing I do remember, I was probably 12 years old and we were in Kauai and, um, on the road from like Kilauea to Hanalei, there's like this big bridge. And at the time Kauai was very mellow and we were pulled off on the side of the road and there was this like little waterfall coming off the side of the mountain. And I remember sitting there looking at it and saying to my mom, like, yeah, I'm going to live here someday. <laughs> and of mm -hmm. course at the time she just kind of like, yeah, cool. And then when I graduated college and, um, came home for the summer and, and then decided to move there. <laughs> um, so, you know, just weird things like that happening. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go deeper into Kauai, but I want to skip back a little bit first. Yeah. And, and just, you know, it's a good reminder. Not everyone has some one aha moment. It sounds like you had a lot of nature connection through family exposure and all that. Totally. Um, but I heard two things in there, too. One is that aliveness that seems to emerge when you get into these places. I know our last trip to Yosemite and we were just scrambling. Yeah up to the base of El Cap and through there. I know like for me, I notice this thing that happens when I'm in places like that, often in the Sierras, if there's, you know, like boulders near a running stream, like I all of a sudden start going a little faster. Yeah. 
And like some primal weird thing comes alive in me like, oh, my ancestors have done this for mm. eons and it's it just sort of overtakes you. It sounds like you had that as a kid too. Totally. Yeah. I And I feel like anytime you're near water where there's boulders, like I veer off the trail and I'm just rock hopping. Exactly. And um, it's funny because like, I don't know, I just spent a lot of time with no shoes. Like as a kid, we grew up. Uh, my parents' house was in this canyon and it was like a lot of nature around. And in the summertime, my sister and I, we would just basically pack our backpack and like go hiking th in, through like the canyon. And I never had shoes on. And, you know, living in Kauai, never wore shoes. And I just always remember just the feeling of the ground on my feet, whether it's like you're stepping on like rocks or, you know, thorns or whatever and just like oh whatever keep going you know and um yeah i i definitely feel that same way when it's like you're you're kind of just like engrossed in nature and and then something just clicks in and it's like everything else kind of fades away like the herd on your feet or whatever and it's just like time speeds up but also slows down at the same mm -hmm. time it's more like you speed up but everything else is like kind of like just coming at you. Yeah. Um, do you remember, I, I'm hearing two other things from your stories from childhood is also the end moment of getting there. Everyone always says, and I do too, it's the journey, not the destination, but the destination can be pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a more fleeting moment, but, um, that awe factor, right. When you do reach whatever, and you're looking at the waterfall or, or whatever, but also, I mean, you're hearing you describe it you really tapped into the senses of the tactile sensation of your feet and yeah. the cold that you were talking about and shivering and all that. Like, were you present with that at the time or is that now more in hindsight thinking about it? Probably more in hindsight, um, thinking about, you know, just being barefoot and, and all of that, not necessarily thinking about it as like, Oh, I, I need this kind of thing or, or I'm really aware of it. It was, it just felt normal to not be hiking in shoes. And like, we would go through like these big, like chaparral, like getting scratched. And basically <laughs> we'd let my dog go and he would blaze the trail and we'd be like crawling through and like pushing bushes out of the way. And then like, there was these rad, huge, like tall rock, like boulders that we would always go to. Mm. And we'd just like eat lunch up there and hang out. And it had like a whole view of the Canyon that we lived in and, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's more like now thinking about that rather than then. It just felt like that was how I was supposed to do it. Right. And luckily my parents weren't like, put your shoes on, you know, yeah. they didn't care. They didn't know. And they were more concerned about the bobcats and the mountain lions and the canyon than anything else. So, um, I think they were always happy when the dog went cause at least he would, be some sort of like make more noise yeah. or be an extra set of sensory <laughs> totally <laughs> sacrifice uh, the dog yeah, and not yeah, the yeah. kids <laughs> um what was your dog's name uh his name was dusty dusty protecting the grommets um well let's go where did um we've surfed a bunch we met through surfing in bali but uh when did surfing enter your life um, probably not really till I was like about 15. Um, I mean, I grew up going to the beach weekends and pile in the car, go to the beach and, um, a lot of boogie boarding and always would stand up on my boogie board and always wanted to surf. Um, and I don't know, for whatever reason, my parents never got me a board. And, and then when I turned 15, 
actually when I turned 14, I went surfing for the first time, like officially, um, one of the guys who worked in my dad's office, he was a surfer. And so he took me and I was, we were at Tourmaline actually. And he was like, just such a cool guy. And I just remember being so excited. And, and after that, I was just like, Oh, I just kept asking to go. And then eventually I had enough money and I bought a board and, you know, my parents would take me to the beach and, and to surf, drop us off. And really once I got my license, that's kind of when things changed. I could go and drive. Like I would wake up super early in the morning on Fridays, we would have a late start. And so that would be like kind of a fun time to go with a couple of buddies and surf and, and then really it kind of took off for me in college. I mean, going to UC Santa Barbara, having the ocean right there, like could surf at all times. And, um, went on my like first official surf trip to Costa Rica and that sort of opened up a lot. And, um, but I, I've always had a big interest in it. I remember when I was like 12 or 13, uh, going to one of the, I think it was like the bud tour or whatever at mm. seaside. And I was super into Rob Machado cause he had the same birthday as me. Oh really? Yeah. No way. Um, and so we, my dad took me to a contest and I just remember like sitting there like, Oh my gosh, this is like a whole thing. You know, I had never really experienced like the surf scene in that way. And, and so that always just made me super excited. I, I always wanted to go to Seaside after that, but we never actually went again. It was just <laughs> one of those like random times. And, um, but yeah, I just always been super interested in it. I always followed like the tour when I was a kid, had a surfer mag, uh, um, subscription for a really long time as a kid and posters of surfers all in my room, even though I never really did it, but I was more into surfing than I was bodyboarding. <laughs> as far as like just the the culture and the and yeah. the actual people doing it but um yeah it's just always been been something i've been interested in and and now obviously love it and really uh appreciate it more now than ever uh for all the things that it provides you know yeah. i know i often think that for anyone that's lucky enough to have surfing come into their life, however it does, just struck the nature connection lottery. Yeah. Bit, you know, won it big. Because there's so many elements coming together. Totally. Natural sunlight, water, the ions, the sea life. The Riding the sand, energy of earthy, the earth. Yeah. Everything. I mean, yeah, harmonizing with a wave moving yeah. across the earth. Totally. It's crazy. Um, and just a plug too, for anyone who hasn't read it, if, uh, the book blue mind by Wallace J Nichols goes into all the science around the ways in which living in on near the water or mm. living your life in on near the water affects us from a physical, emotional, spiritual, everything. Yeah. Um, really cool book. Um, and I hope to have uh, Wallace on the podcast at some point. That'd be sweet. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that, um, you know, the saying, only a surfer knows the feeling. And once you, once you try it and get the bug, it's pretty easy to fall into it. And um, it's, uh, it's something we're so lucky to be able to do. And it's just a fascinating endeavor. And as a kid, I played like every sport under the sun, you know, like sports were like my life and and then once i got into surfing like my interest in a lot of the other activities i was doing like totally went away you know like i remember in high school like i was 
running track and cross country and playing basketball and then that's kind of when I first started surfing and then after that I was like quit playing basketball like didn't really had didn't really have much interest in those other things yeah. I was just like wanted to surf it was surfing partially responsible for getting you to Kauai or was it oh that was like the full that was that was the, that full was the catalyst <laughs> well I mean I had been there six times or so as a kid growing up and just always loved being there like it's it's the best island. I mean, let's just face it. <laughs> um, and and so I came home from college. My parents had a little condo by the beach, and I was staying there just working. I like, didn't really know what I was going to do. And my buddy came and stayed with me for a week, and he was like, hey, let's go to Hawaii. We can work on an organic farm, and, and you can do work trade. Like, you work 10 or 15 hours a week. You can live on the farm, and we'll just surf for the winter. And I was like, okay, I'm not going unless we go to Kauai. And he's like, okay, cool. I've never been. So like a month later, we were flying to Hawaii, Kauai. And within a week, I had a car, a job and a place to live. And we were just like planning to like camp and until we could get hooked up on a farm, mm -hmm. never actually did the farm thing. Um, I ended up being there for three years. He stayed for five. Um, but it was all about surfing. Like it's all, it's all I've my whole life was organized around that. You know, I worked at a restaurant at night and surfed all day. And then in the summertime, I would do the kayak tours and just another excuse to be out on the water. And I didn't even actually pursue that job. I had through friends and whatever had met the owner of the kayak mm -hmm. company and we just kind of hit it off. And he was like, Hey, like, do you want to come work for us this summer? And I was like, okay. And so I started like, I would do like one or two trips a week and then I would drive the van cause you would, drive you would go basically from the end of the road on the north shore all the way to the west side which is only accessible by a trail for 12 miles and then the rest is boat only mm -hmm. um so i would drive like all the way around the island to the west side and pick people up and then drive them back and then the next two summers i was doing probably about three trips per week and it's the longest single day open ocean kayak trip in the world it's 18 miles wow. and i mean yeah that definitely lots of very incredible nature experiences out yeah. on the Nepali. Let's okay. Let's bring people there because not everyone's been to Kauai, and we yeah. should probably shut up about it. It's <laughs> so beautiful, but but just to give people a visual sense. So on the on the Nepali coast, there are these insanely beautiful, majestic green mountains that sort of jut up out of the ocean very steeply. Yeah, and. Um, depending on the time of year, the way the ocean, the deep ocean comes right up to the base of those cliffs, water, you know, waves and water crashing, backwash, yeah. uh, lots of uh, wildlife. And you're basically as a kayak guide taking people, immersing them deeply in nature and one of the most beautiful places in the world, probably. Yeah. You must have some crazy nature experiences, I would imagine, too, with wildlife. Tell, uh, yeah, tell I us mean, a couple wildlife stories. and just the raw power of Kauai, you know, it's the, the, the island that sticks out the furthest. It's the oldest island. Um, and so you start on, on the North Shore, like a couple miles away from the end of the road and you go out across this reef and you know it's summertime so the waves are not really happening on the north shore so it's primarily pretty mellow as far as like big surf goes and so you paddle out and you kind of go out pretty far and then you hook around this corner and and then you basically go up the coast for the next i don't know eight out six hours maybe longer um and so definitely 
so much variability in the weather and the waves and the wind and all of that. And so had some experiences like basically from where you start the trip, you have about a mile before the final place that you can get out of the water. And like literally my first trip, official trip that I did was with my boss and it was a private trip. And it's kind of one of those things like people show up at the, at the place to get the boats and drive them out there and you're just totally sussing them out. And they were very suspect from the beginning. And so we made it. Oh, they they were suspect of you guys. Like, no, they were, we were suspect of them of like actually being able to make it. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Um, and that my boss is never going to say no, you know, like (laughs) even if they're surf, he's just like, you're going, you know? And so, it was a windy, windy day. And particularly where you paddle out, you have to go out pretty far and to get around the reef. And then you hook back around and it was like, the wind was pretty strong that morning. And that was the only trip that I ever did where we didn't make it. Oh really? <laughs> we end, we ended at KA at the end of the road Wow. because it was a yard sale and I didn't really know what I was doing. My boss was like screaming at me, yelling. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know? And I'm like, trying to like help and figure out and these people are just like drifting and guy falls out of the boat and can't get back in and it's just like oh my god welcome to the nepali you know (laughs) um but had so much so many different experiences with with the weather and and conditions you know some days you get out there and it's like sheet glass and it's like blazing hot Mm -hmm. and you can go there's a bunch of caves you can go in and those are all dependent on on the weather and waves and it's just like buttery and actually those days are a lot harder cause you don't have much current pushing you, but they're always just, you're just really in awe of the beauty and the purity out there. And then had other days where, you know, you'll be paddling in the same place for like two hours, not moving. And you got people in the boat in front of you, like puking out the side or getting sprayed <laughs> with their barf in your face. And, um, so just so many different things, but I mean, countless experiences, um, particularly like kind of right outside, right before you get to Kalalau beach, which is where the trail ends on the Nepali coast. It's 12 miles up, uh, getting like paddling through a pod of dolphins of like 200 dolphins. Wow. And like literally every time it would happen, I would just jump out, like whatever's happening, like jump out of the boat and just swimming with dolphins, like literally all around you wow. you hear them underwater chirping there's like little babies and they look like little tiny footballs and did they actually touch you did they i never had any you, like touch me or anything yeah. um but you know there it's just like everywhere you right. look and it, it'll be for like half a mile you know yeah. like hundreds of dolphins and so you're you're in a pot you're in the water and hundreds of dolphins are just going all around right next to you right what does that feel like i mean i've been around a lot of dolphins surfing but that's a whole other yeah i mean it's like exciting and exhilarating and you know a little bit nerve-wracking like just jumping out of the boat and you got dolphins everywhere but they're just like cruising you know and um yeah we always used to like pat tap our paddles on the water i don't know why like to attract someone, them or someone just said that that would work and like attract them or yeah. whatever but after a while i was just like whatever i just jump out of the boat and just swim and yeah. um everyone was just like so enthralled with that and um actually one of the one of the like the main guides a super rad guy named brett he um 
he did a whole, he circumnavigated the entire island in a kayak. Oh, wow. I think he was, I don't know if he was the first one to do it or whatever, but I had a video camera with the water housing and mm. he took my camera and he has a bunch of insane footage. It's on a hard drive that I have that is basically on the fritz, but someday I got to pull that stuff Resurrect. off. Resurrect. It's insane. Of the dolphin yeah. experience? Yeah. Oh. And he just like puts the camera in the water and they're just like going wow. right by and then you could just, it's amazing. Um, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> had another time where we were in one of the caves and I was coming out and all of a sudden like a monk seal cruises up and literally like puts his head on my boat and like just looks at me and I was just like, whoa, and then just slips away and gone. Looking back on Reese's childhood and the rich multi-sensory experiences he had, hiking with his dog and his sister, getting wet from waterfalls, being in flow and feeling his bare feet on the ground reminds me of my favorite quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, quote, live in the sunshine, swim in the sea, drink the wild air, unquote. That's what Reese is all about. But after running a grindy social media agency that started pulling him away from nature and surfing, he found himself looking for something different. In this next part of the conversation, we get into how his wife Daniela, his friend Luke, and a crazy Dutchman sent him down the rabbit hole of breathwork and the founding of his latest venture, Our Breath Collective. It was on just struggling, having a hard time and looking for something to help me that I could do. And, you know, Daniela was always like, ah, oh, you should come to yoga or you should do meditation. And if they, if I was going to go spend an hour at a yoga class, I would much rather go surfing. And then to sit down and meditate, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It would just, it wasn't, I don't know. It had never been shared in a way where I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is cool. And I make sense. Um, and then I heard Wim Hof on a podcast and just felt his energy and, and his, mission and passion for all that he was doing. And I was like, this guy's got some mojo that I want to see what it's all about. And so I came home and told Daniela about it. And she said, Oh, I was just talking to Luke, who's a friend of ours and now co-founder in our breath collective. I was just talking to him about it yesterday. You should hit him up. So we were, I'd only met him once or twice at, at that time. And so I, I texted him or emailed him or something. And I was like, hey, Daniela was telling me you knew about the Wim Hof Method and, and would love to know what you know. And so he's like, yeah, I've been doing breath work for like 10 years. And are you ready for an, a life upgrade? <laughs> I'll never forget those words. And I share that all the time because it really was. Um, he came over to my house. We were in my bedroom uh, and we did one breathing session. And I was just like, what just happened to me? This is amazing. And that was the start of it all. And, and what style of breath did he do? Um, time, do we remember? were doing like kind of Wim Hof style because mm -hmm. uh, that's what I had hit him up about. He yeah. was more trained in rebirthing um, and pranayama, but his understanding of it and I don't know, it was his own expression of it. But mm -hmm. um, And then after that session, he was like, oh yeah, I have Wim's online course. You can use my login or whatever. So I it was a 10-week course. I did it in 10 days and then I was just like, what's next, you know? And so I ended up going to a workshop in LA with uh, just, I whim was coming to town and I wanted to go see him, but I couldn't make it. And so I just signed up for a random workshop and it ended up being with Casper who has been my teacher for the last, you know, long while and a good friend. And, 
um, went to that and that was kind of my first like in-person experience where I actually got like instruction and also got science and some of the why behind it all. And I stayed, uh, actually for the next day he was doing a master class. So I was like, can I stay? And he's like, yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> after that I, I said, well, what's next here? Like, you know, where can I go from here? And he's like, Oh, I'm going to Poland in a few months. You should come. And so immediately signed up for that. And Casper said that. Yeah. So yeah, for the audience listeners here, we'll, we'll link in the show notes, but Casper Vandermulen, is that yeah. how you say his last name? Yeah. Uh, he's an awesome breathwork, uh, guide teacher, uh, teacher of many things. Yeah. Health and wellness out of Amsterdam. So somehow you ended up shirtless on the top of a mountain in Poland. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So I went on that trip and, and for me, that was a big step out of the comfort zone. Like at that point I had only done one ice bath, um, at Casper's well two, cause I stayed for two days, two ice baths. Um, and it's funny. I remember the very first day, like, I don't know, my, my tendency is always to just go first, like kind of mm. get it over with or just get it done. And so I went first into the ice bath and I remember like st- standing in front of the ice bath and like just kind of like trying to center myself getting ready to go in and i remember he said oh this guy's looking for something Mm. and and i'll never forget that and i was i really was and and at that point i didn't know i had found it but i knew something was there and that was at the workshop that was at the first workshop the very first day um and then i ended up in poland and, and that was a big step out of the comfort zone for me like I just am a people person and I don't do things alone very often. Uh, and so going on that trip by myself, not knowing anyone, uh, going to Poland, some far off place, flying in like Russian airlines to Russia, landing there at like (laughs) two in the morning and then showing up in, in Prague and having to like kind of figure out all of that. And then obviously going to a place where I know I was going to be exposing myself to cold and cold, not necessarily being something I was super stoked on. Um, can we pause for a sec? Yeah. Um, so just to provide a little bit of context, so probably most everyone listening to this, I'm going to assume maybe heard of Wim Hof, but he's this crazy Dutchman that is known for a lot of records, like longest swim under the ice. He's climbed to the death zone in shorts and no shirt at Everest yeah. and on Mount Everest. He's done a lot of crazy things, but he's really, uh, probably one of the main people that's put breath work kind of writ large on the map. Um, and he's such a character. He's super charismatic. So just to give that a little bit of context and you went to one of the workshops, um, in LA met Casper, but also this Poland trip to provide a little context for that that was in the early days of when Wim was training people to become Wim Hof instructors. Right. And like, is it yeah, true? So yeah. the, the very first U S group had just finished their instructor training like a couple months before the Poland trip. So there was three or four of those guys there mm-hmm. with Casper, like assisting him. Um, so yeah, it was pretty early for at least the U S side, like the, the European um, side of things had some instructors already and right. it, it was already had a lot of steam there. Um, but yeah, so ended up, ended up in Poland and, and going through that whole experience and really like challenged myself. I remember sitting in the airport in LA and I'm like, all right, well, I'm really going out on a limb. And actually, actually I like wrote this in my journal, um, that I was like, all right, I'm just going to like make the most of this time here. And like, 
anytime someone wants to go in the cold, you're going to do it. And, you know, just be a yes man for this trip. Mm -hmm. And so I probably went in the, in the water more than anyone. Like I, at night we would just be hanging out. I was like, someone would be like, Hey, let's go jump in the river. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah, really the trip consists of like morning breath practice down in this like basement dark room in this hotel. And then, um, we would go and do like activities outside, like walking around in the snow barefoot and doing, I don't know, Casper had all kinds of like cool little things that he was doing outside of just what Wim does, but, um, which he actually got in trouble for. <laughs> like we did a meditation outside, just sat next to the river in the cold for like 30 minutes with just our shorts on yeah. and just some other things. And, and then, you know, we would go get in the water and there's a vice documentary that kind of goes through the whole trip. Um, and so there's like this cascade up along this trail, which is, you know, like this waterfall and it's very like, supposedly sacred water and mm. and so we'd go swim in there and and then you do a couple mountain hikes uh in your shorts so i think it was like the second or third day we do this hike and it's it's pretty mellow as far as like vertical feet it's just mm. like a long hike and this particular day was like super foggy like we got to the end it was like okay we're here and it's like where, you know, like looking around, you don't really see anything. And it's just like gear up and walk back. And then the very final day you hike Mount Schnetzka, which is uh, the tallest mountain in the Czech Republic. It's right on the Czech border. And mm. that's sort of like the pinnacle peak of the trip. And um, it's an interesting place because the mountain is actually on one side is like a ski mount, a ski resort. Mm. And so you kind of hike up the side or the back and it's like this cool trail up through the forest. And then you kind of get to this plateau and then you kind of come around this bend and then boom, all of a sudden the wind hits you and the temperature drops and you get a little bit further and there's a chairlift that takes people up to this plateau. And then most people just hike the last like 800 meters up these switchbacks to the top of the mountain. Right. And here's a group of like 30 people in their shorts and like everyone's like, wants to take a picture and wondering what you're doing and you're like trying to stay focused and then and you're in you're you're not just in shorts you're no shirts yeah no shirt yeah. just like beanie backpack with snow shorts <laughs> boot hiking boots and that's it and um you know your arms are frosted and your body is just like pretty cold um not really feeling cold because obviously you're moving you're going mm -hmm. uphill like you know my hands were sweaty my armpits were sweaty but peripherally peripherally i was you know your skin's cold and mm -hmm. and then um you kind of like get right above at least this day we were above the cloud line and so the last like 800 meters up this switchback it was just crystal clear beautiful like epic mm. epic day but cold like minus right. 15 celsius yeah. um and i just remember getting to the top and just being like holy shit i just did that like supercharged you know i was like all, so many of those uh, limiting beliefs and things we're told as a kid and all of those things just like faded away. It was like not true, you know? Yeah. And I, I think Wim talks about that a lot within, you know, his own teaching and all of that. But then to actually experience that with like 30 other people, there was a dude who was like 70 years old on the trip, you know, awesome. it was like just all different age groups, men, women, everything. And, and that was 
for me like just a big transformational experience I was just like blown away with what I was capable of and also really in tune with what I needed for myself which was some of these practices and um, ability to feel myself like permission to feel physically mentally emotionally and getting reconnected with the need to actually love myself. Um, and so after that, I came home and, well, there I decided, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I, need, I wanna teach this. And so went into the instructor training uh, through the Wim Hof Method and <clears throat> did that whole deal. Ended up going back to Poland the next year with Casper to assist him. And then from there, just started teaching workshops and started doing other things uh, just in the local community here. There wasn't really anyone teaching breath work or doing any of that. And so it, it was just cool timing and people were really open and receptive to it. And I think a lot of my excitement for it like drew people in and um, yeah, just kind of started this rad little community here and in, in, you know, Encinitas. And um, I think another blessing for me was having Luke who had experience with other modalities of breathing. I think our tendency a lot of times is to find something and then just get hooked to like, that's the only way. I mean, you see that in yoga or, I mean, even surfing, it's like, I only ride this type of board, you know? Right, yeah. Or like, I don't, this is the only kind of yoga, it's the best, it's the most traditional, or it's the whatever, you know? And, and then you're just kind of missing all the other colors of the rainbow and and so having luke with a rebirthing background and pranayama and he's done a lot of exploration in it and that really kind of opened my eyes of like okay like there's so much more under the hood here let's let's continue to explore and see what else is there and and then that allowed me to evolve to kind of be more at where i'm at now as far as teaching breathing and not just focusing on the wim hof method i mean i still do teach it when it's asked for because it's obviously a name that people know and it's a very simple method and it i always say it's like the gateway drug into breathing it just mm -hmm. kind of like brings people in so um but not necessarily what i'm solely focused on teaching but yeah that's been the journey right. more or less <laughs> so i, I want to put this in perspective because you just talk about poland like it's going to poland like it's no big deal <laughs> but to go back i mean you know, breathwork is becoming more and more popular, but it's still not super mainstream yet. And this was how many years ago was the first Poland trip? That would have been probably like five or six. Yeah. So let's go back five, six years. And, you know, you have one breathwork session, you do a workshop and go, wow, there's something really powerful here. But then very quickly after, this tells you a lot um, about how Reese is wired. <laughs> he loves to just get after it. Yeah. But then you decide, I'm going to Poland to go hang out with Wim Hof and this crew. And at that time, it was still very nascent. Did you ever have a moment like when, I don't know if you transferred through Prague or wherever on your way, you're like, what am I doing? I can breathe at home. I'm going to Poland to breathe, no. jump in cold water and with hardly any like clothes on? Did no, it, it, was it was just, just super, super curious. Yeah. And, and I had also just felt the impact like I mean I was so diligent about my practice like every single morning waking up doing the breath work I stopped taking any warm showers like only cold showers yeah. um, I was I was so 
committed and diligent with mm-hmm. it that it was it was just the next thing that I had to do and it wasn't something I ever was like oh what am I doing here like why am, what what how did I end up here you know mm-hmm. I was like no this is yeah. this is it you know this is where I'm going that's cool yeah um well, that's about the time that we really reconnected. Because uh, when I moved back from Australia, you were working at Corduroy TV. Uh, we were talking about maybe doing some advertising when I was at Kashi. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching on Instagram you getting involved in in breathwork, cold exposure, Wim Hof, and your Poland trip. And it was super evident because you've always been an awesome sharer about your life. <laughs> but it was so evident that you were under going through a pretty major transformation that seemed super positive for you and your life. Um, and that's when I took notice too. Um, and I think at the same time, a couple other surfers that I knew were playing around with breath, breath work and they were all people I respected. And I thought, there's something here. I've got to go try this and tap in. And I went to one of your four hour workshops mm-hmm. and yeah, that was the first time I went, wow, this is maybe one of the first times I've experiencing spirit experienced something that f- fired my stoke as much as surfing did. Yeah. Well, okay. There's something really powerful here. So, and then we've been hanging out a lot ever since, and I've been going to your Thursday class and you since started our breath collective. Yeah. And I mean, going back to that, like that was it. Like I, nothing I had done gave me the stoke that surfing did until I did breath work and, all of these other things. Yeah. It was just like super evident. Like, yeah. and I think that was like that switch that was just like, Whoa, you found what you've been looking for Yeah, and still love surfing and all of that. But it's like, I can do breath work for 20 minutes and get that same high as I would, you know, and surfing takes time, you know, you got to drive to the ocean, you got to change in your gear, you got to pat, you know, the whole thing. And it's not just like a quick hitter. Yeah. And as the responsibilities of being a dad and business owner and all the things, like don't always have the time for that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, let's go. Let, let's start going down the rabbit hole of breath here. Um, yeah. That's a deep one. <laughs> <laughs> um, some people might be wondering what the hell uh, breath work has to do with nature connection. So um, how do you think about that? Um, I would say breathing is our connection to our inner nature. Um, our breath is this universal language that we all speak. Every single human living animal, plant, tree breathes. And it's one of those things that we sort of take for granted because it is part of our autonomic nervous system it just happens without us needing to do anything but what we're seeing now is that we obviously have the ability to control our breath to be able to change and manipulate it and that gives us access into our bodies our physiology into our nervous system to then be able to change and adapt and take control of certain things that we weren't privy to. And Mm. so this connection to obviously all living things and then our own deeper connection into our own nature as a human, as a, you know, living organism 
which then allows us to experience our outer nature, like everything else that we're in mm -hmm. and around, that's around us in a different way. So, um, it sounds maybe a little bit weird to think about, Oh, breathing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm always breathing, you know, but how many of your breaths are you, are you actually aware of mm -hmm. likely very few throughout the day? And, and I think that's really always my number one goal for people, whether they come to a workshop or a class and just even have one experience, it's just creating a new awareness to their breath and where that can actually take them, what that, the impact of that can actually be. And like anything, the more we practice something, the more we become aware of it and the better we get at it. So through life, we have a lot of things happening to us. There's a lot of stimulus that's taking us out of our body. There's a lot of things that we experience, trauma, stress, all of these things that without us thinking about it, change our breathing. So a lot of people have adapted away from breathing properly. Um, you watch a baby or a young child breathe, their breath is very natural, how it's supposed to show up. And then as we move, things start to change. And there's a lot of really apparent chronic uh, dysfunction in breathing that is playing into a lot of the things that we're experiencing from uh, physiological ailments to mental, uh, our mental health. Um, and, and it's all connected. So our breath being this very simple thing that is happening all the time is very complex under the hood. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, actually it's pretty cool cause you, the way you described how breath work is related to nature is I have a framework in my head that I use, which is inside, outside between. So there's our inside nature is our internal landscape and then there's outside which is all the sort of you know when we think of trees and <laughs> all the the cliche nature stuff um and then between which is the connection between people and you kind of hit on all those um in a roundabout way so yeah um tell us so let, let's go into um and breath hits all three which is cool like yeah. i think about the inner landscape um and going in like you said but then you know we're breathing in air that comes from the outside nature. And then when you do a breath work, a group breath work, that people connection and the elevation you get with breathing and other, with other people in the room is insanely powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of hits all three. Yeah. And just to make one distinction, like, yeah. Oh, people think, yeah, I'm always breathing or whatever. And like breath work. Um, and really what we're talking about here is conscious breathing. So actually top down modulation, right? We think about our breath. We, uh, intentionally change and manipulate our breath. So it's really this conscious manipulation, conscious, uh, drive of how we're breathing. Um, so I guess just to make that distinction of like, what is breath work? 
So let's get into Our Breath Collective. So it's been, what, a few years now since it was founded? Tell us. About two and a half years. So uh, I was, you know, deep in agency world, building that um, simultaneously teaching Wim Hof workshops and and other breathwork stuff uh, alongside it. And Luke and, and another friend came to me and said, hey, we have this idea where we want to lead a daily breathing practice um, every single morning and and just put it out there to the world and, and kind of see what happens. And it immediately was a yes for me because the number one question that I get asked in my workshops after people come is, this is amazing. I feel awesome. How do I continue to do this? How do I be consistent with it? Um, where do Where do I go? What do I do? And, you know, there's endless numbers of YouTube videos you could watch. You never know what you're really going to get there. Um, there's different breathing apps, but most of them are like the breathing bubble, right? You know, so you see this bubble grow and, and collapse. And there's just like this lack of connection and community with it. And alongside building, you know, my Wim Hof workshops and whatnot, I had started a little group at my house um, every Sunday I would invite friends over and we would do breath work in my garage and then we would go outside and get in the ice bath and then we would have some yerba mate and, and share gratitude and ended up being called ice church. And, and that was really like this way to like bring community together around these practices. Um, it was sort of like this ritual that was created and, um, just seeing the, the human aspect of that and how that enhanced the experience so like actually breathing with other people having someone a human there guiding and instructing um was where the potency i think really intensified and there wasn't really anything like that being done online at the time so they came to me and they said yeah like let's do this and i was immediate yes Little did I know I was getting myself into a whole thing alongside trying to build my agency. And I think deep down inside, I knew that this work of teaching breath work was really more in line with how, who I wanted to be, how I wanted to show up as a being of service in this world. And, and the agency was just something that I kind of had to do to make a living. And I was already like committed and deep down the rabbit hole, but the more I started teaching, the less interested I was in that. And it was sort of this double-edged sword, you know? I was like, I'm, here I am teaching people breath work to help with a lot of the problems that social media and marketing and all that stuff is creating. Like, it's mm -hmm. keeping us connected to our devices and selling products and consumerism and all of that. And I didn't really, like, realize that until, you know, the aftermath of it all. But... So they came to me and they're like, let's do this. And, and it was also very fitting because it fit into a lot of what I already had skills in. Like obviously the, the breath work, teaching breath work, but then also how to build a platform. Like I had done web development for a long time. I obviously ran social media. I knew how to create content. And so it just kind of like fit in. And then, uh, so we had started in September of, uh, 2019, one of my partners had a very big audience. So that was like an immediate 
jump into having a community, which is, is amazing and I'm super grateful for. And, and then it just kind of started to grow from there. And obviously the pandemic hit where everything kind of like contracted and my agency had a big hit. We lost like 40% of our business overnight. My partner and I had big conflict, which had already started. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was exasperate, exasperated there. And we had started working with a business coach who actually proposed to him, like, why don't you buy Reese out? And never thought that, <laughs> never even, that wasn't even in my mind, you know? And it was just like a, a wholehearted yes for me as scary as it was and with all the unknowns, but we had enough kind of going on with, with OBC to be able to like pay me a salary to like do the work that I was already doing. Um, and, and then obviously everything went online at that point and we had already had this base of, of people. And then it, so it started to grow. And, um, when we started, it was really just like, Hey, we're just going to teach one practice every morning, 6am, 15 minutes, and that's it. And, and for anyone who was coming in, just show up and do the practice. Don't worry about the why Mm -hmm. don't worry about anything that, you know, right or wrong, like just follow along. And, and then you see what is happening for you. Like you determine how it's impacting you. What's changing? How are you feeling? And, and as it went on, you know, about five or six months down the road, then everyone started coming like, okay, we're ready. We want to know the why. (laughs) So we ended up developing a course. That's our breathwork intensive. It's a four week course, which you did, um, which goes into the science and really connects all the dots. We look at our physiology, our biochemistry, how the interplay of all that is working in our body. Then we look at our mechanics. How do we restore proper breathing function? Um, and then looking at how that all connects and relates into our nervous system, which is kind of really where the breath becomes a tool because we can self-regulate, we can change our state of being. And then with all of that, like looking at your own personal assessment. So anyone who does the intensive gets to do our daily breathes. So then they get to practice all the things that they're learning. And then by the time they get to the end, they're like, okay, I know this works for me. This works for me. And, and so it's really to help build their own toolkit. And, and then from that people were like, okay, this is epic. I want to teach it. I want to bring it to my community. So then we developed the teacher training program, which Mm -hmm. we, we, um, is a six month program where we basically go deeper into the science and then bring in how to facilitate breathing. Um, and so it's just been like this organic growth of, okay, we start with one thing, then people ask for another, we add that, then other add that. Um, now we lead retreats. Um, we've done a handful last year. We just did one in Tahoe a couple months ago. We're going um, to this epic spot in Topanga in May. We're going to Costa Rica in July. And so that is like really the sweet spot of like where the community comes together, you know? so all these people are breathing online. Um, obviously people have their different take on, you know, the online stuff, but there is this connection that's happening. You know, you see like the number of people that are breathing live and you just feel connected to that. And then, um, and then to bring it full circle and how people come in, in person and then it just intensifies everything. Um, and, and so, 
yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. We, we teach other workshops where we bring in, you know, other facilitators to share different perspectives and different specifics around breathing and even like other modalities that fit into the breath. And, and that's, I think one of the beauties of it is like, yeah, you could be like just a breath worker or you can, it really fits into all these different modalities, you know, from yoga to uh, physiotherapist, uh, acupuncturist, body workers, school teachers, mm-hmm. any sort of profession, you know, like yeah. in any job you could utilize your breath really, and then bring it to the people in that. So I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing like this kind of strong growth wave of breath work right now, because it's very fitting. And obviously the climate of mental health and all the stress and things that are going on it's like people are looking for something and it's high impact low effort you know you don't need to change your clothes you don't have to go anywhere you can literally just sit down and focus on your breath it can be for one breath it could be for 30 minutes however long you know and and you're gonna feel something something's gonna change and shift so um yeah that's That's, kind of where we're at (laughs) that's awesome so i'm gonna recap some of that for people so the 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 hearts of the program are the daily breathes. Yep. Um, you've got the intensive, you have teacher training, um, retreats, and then what do you call the ones on the weekends where it's with some of the different guides and different styles? Uh, those are like our workshops. Those are the workshops where yeah. you can learn different modalities. So through all, I've experienced a lot of that except for the teacher training and all of it is, all the experiences are amazing and I always end up meeting really cool people through it as well. One of the things I love about um, our Breath Collective's style is that you've got a diverse style. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of dogma out there, like you were saying it earlier. You know, and not just in breath work, whether it's yoga or anything, really. You know, people get really set in one way. Yeah. What's OBC's style and approach there? Yeah, we really call it multidisciplinary, like principle based. So you know, there's all these different modalities and methods of breathing, but then looking at, okay, what are the underlying principles that connect all of them? And, and then when you understand those, then you can actually be more purpose driven with your breath. You, whether you have a goal for, okay, I want to have less stress or less anxiety, or I notice I'm lethargic and I need more energy or performance on a physical level, you know, like through sport or activities that you're doing. Um, Maybe it's productivity or focus. So by understanding the principles from, like I said before, our physiology, our biochemistry, our mechanics and our nervous system, once we understand that, then we can actually apply it based on where we're trying to go. So that's what we're teaching people is like, okay, here's all the building blocks. And then we can help you put together ways to use the breath and then you can also use your own intuition and an understanding of your body and what's working for you to then help yourself go to where you're trying to go. Awesome. So yeah, not, we're not here to create the OBC method or, or whatever. It's like more just like breaking it all down into these different buckets, these different principles to then be able to put your own puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Well, the other things I love about breath work is it seems to have benefits on many levels. Um, 
I was listening to you on uh, the Authentic Living podcast, and you mentioned this concept. You said something like, you know, breath is the key to the nervous system. Yeah. Explain more about that. Yeah, so we really look at the breath being the remote control for the nervous system. So um, this idea of breath as a behavior. So every behavior that we have, there's a way of breathing connected to it. Um, But we also have this bi-directional relationship. So we feel something and then our breath shows up in a certain way. But we can also breathe a certain way that is then going to make us feel a certain way. So that's really where it becomes this tool because we can consciously think about changing our breath and take us into a different state of being. So it has this connection to our nervous system in that way where um, we, we can breathe for the state that we want and thinking about the different behaviors that we have, you know, around breathing, right? You get home from work at night and you're lay down on the couch and what do you do? You go, ah, you know, that's a signal to our body. Like, okay, time to relax. Um, maybe you get super frustrated and you're like, ah, you know, and you just want to like, <laughs> just like fight or something. I never have that. Yeah. yeah. What? What are you talking so, about? So, <laughs> so you can start paying attention to the different emotions and the different behaviors that you have. And then noticing how the breath shows up with that. You know, when you're nervous, like, how are you breathing? Like, it's likely you're breathing in your chest and it's super fast and shallow, Mm -hmm. maybe through your mouth. Um, So that's kind of what I mean when when we say it's like the remote control for our nervous system is we can actually think about our breath, breathe in a certain way that is then going to take us into a certain direction, be it an emotional state or, you know, uh, even a different physical state, if you will. Yeah. It's a bit like music in that way, right? Like, like, what do I want to listen to right now? What yeah. mood am I in? What mood do I want to be totally. in, right? Um, one of the things I've watched you become so skilled at, I mean, because I've you know been around for the journey of beginner guide to master <laughs> guide, and I know you probably wouldn't want to call yourself that, but no. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> but you, you become so skillful when you're guiding at helping people understand their own physiological and felt experience along the way. Um, I'm always amazed actually, especially like I think about it a lot in Thursday class sometimes like, how does he know what the hell is going on in me right now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's really cool and it really helps guide people through the process. But I thought it might help actually to like walk people through a session like that, not do it live right now, but like break down some of the experiences people go through and the felt experience. Not that we have to get into all the science, but like, like a typical 40 minute breathe like that. Like what are the stages people go through? You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's very dependent on what, how the breath is led. Um, I always kind of think of it as, okay, I'm coming into a room with people that are coming in at all different stages of, how they feel our nervous systems. Yes, we all have them, but we're all at a different place within them. And so, you know, some people are coming in at the end of the day and they're super tired. Other people are anxious thinking about something that they have to do after whatever it is. And so typically try to like bring people into their body first to really feel into where they are. It's a good checkpoint, like great to see where you are when you start and then reassess after. 
and then typically do something to bring people down so at least can level the playing field in some mm -hmm. way um, and then typically start with focusing on mechanics so we get the breath moving properly mm -hmm. and also starting slow and small and then working our way up to build and also using part of our physiology to open ourselves up like nasal breathing we're getting nitric oxide which is opening up our vasculature it's opening up uh, dilating our bronchi opening up our lungs so you know this slow build and then generally speaking moving people up the ladder so building arousal moving the breath a little bit faster um, and then reaching some sort of peak energetic peak where you know you feel a lot in your body whether it's like energy moving you feel your body pulsing maybe you feel some weird cramping in certain areas um, also particularly in the beginning the mental chatter is going along going on and so um, a lot of times just making people aware of that like hey yeah your mind is racing and that's all good and it's gonna slowly slow to, it's gonna eventually slow down um, and then by the time you reach that peak, it's like, you're feeling so much in your body, the, the mental chatter is gone. You've kind of in this clear space to then come back down the mountain on the other side into more of a resting, relaxed, calm place. Um, so that's generally speaking, how I'm leading a breath session, like for a group, uh, obviously very different individual one-on-one, -on -one, um, depending on what someone is there for, but. I think most people coming to a breathing class that I'm teaching are, are looking for, you know, sort of this energetic buildup, this detox, like releasing, letting go of emotion and mental yeah. fog and whatever, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just leaving, feeling a little bit more clear, a little bit more space to operate. Yeah. The, um, you know, talking about the mechanics, I, you know, initially starting, you know, it just feels really blissy and it feels awesome. But then, you know, through doing your classes and especially the intensive, when you get into a lot more body mechanics, it's not really opened something up for me in terms of like, I just didn't even realize it makes perfect sense. Of course, like if you're doing any athletic endeavor, as you start to work on your body mechanics and really think about it, you can, you know, access new, um, new levels um that's the same is true of breath which is really cool yeah um, breath is a movement as well you know yeah. thinking about your your breathing there's there's a lot of things that are actually moving in your body and um we were we're able to kind of like grease the wheels a little bit in these specific areas that we're not necessarily focused on and and also because we're we have a lot of dysfunctional breathing that a lot of those places become stagnant and and or so, tight or whatever right, right like, tight yeah. or yeah we we hold a lot uh you know i think just mirroring looking at you know people on tv with like six-pack abs and whatever you know like we hold our body <laughs> in a certain way because we see it not that we're actually consciously thinking about that or we're holding on to emotion or trauma in certain ways that that actually restrict our breathing so by being aware of how the breath should naturally flow it starts to open things up and then potentially a lot of the physical ailments and even um mental things start changing yeah my personal experience i think it started first for me is just being a major de-stressor like really help calm like nervous system 
uh, nervous system reset. But then when I started thinking about the mechanics and realizing, wow, it's actually, this is my personal experience. I can't prove this, but this is what I've felt and, and, and how I've thought about it. When you actually work on your body mechanics during a conscious breath practice, it's actually helped uh, give my spine more mobility and flexibility as I've been able to let go a little bit more. Totally. Um, yeah, so. and, and it, it because you're consciously breathing in a certain way and practicing something, that's part of the reason is when you practice something, then you step away and you're not thinking about it. You're reprogramming and retraining your body to breathe in that way. So that's like really what a consideration can be when going into a practice and really focusing on mechanics is like, Hey, we're doing this here in this conscious space so that then as we step away, our body is knows what to do again. Yeah. The, um, I want to speak to one thing that is incredibly powerful here too, that, um, is part of how OBC operates. You do your daily breathes online, which are what, like 10 or 12 minutes, something yeah, like, they're like that. 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, but when you go to a lot, whether it's online, um, cause that ex that's an experience, a group experience with people. But then when you're in the same room with a bunch of people breathing and everyone's, um, synchronizing breath, it's, um, it's like one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly different than doing it by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's um, really awesome. Another part of the experience that you often bring in, not always, um, but you do, um, especially in a live group setting is music. And I've often thought about like your style and Luke's style, um, of guiding breath work is I've, you know, I've called you guys breath DJs sometimes, <laughs> Cause it'll kind of go all over the place. You never know quite what you're going to get, but it's always cool. Um, but music, the music in the setting too is like a whole other part of the experience, you know? Yeah. And how, like, since I've guided, you know, a few groups on breath myself too, and I always brought music into it. I'm curious how you think about the music, um, being combined with the breath and the practice. How do you go about constructing that for a, a breathe? Um, Generally speaking, I don't use music with vocals. I think that's very distracting for a lot of people. So it's a lot of times melodic and more instrumental. Um, and I always try to like have that same arc of the buildup of the breathe and then the come down of the breathe in the music. So the breath is sort of influenced by the music music influenced by the breath however you want to look at it so it creates this build up um you know slow melodic kind of more floaty type music in the beginning and then adding more beat and rhythm as the breath starts to pick up and then coming back down into i like some nature sounds and you know bowls and that sort of stuff at the end um but I don't know. I just kind of always go with what I like. Um, I'm pretty weird about my music too. Like I don't <laughs> ever use the same uh, playlist twice in my class. Every single week I have a new playlist. Maybe a few songs get used a couple times that I really like. But for the most part, every breathe is different. So I'm kind of always like just on the hunt searching for new tracks and just diving down rabbit holes. 
I mean, I think the algorithms know me pretty well now and serve me up the music that I like, um, which probably is restricting me from finding other things. But um, yeah, I think the music definitely adds to it. It creates, you know, rhythm and, and energy. Um, it also helps to kind of block other people's sound out, keeping you in your place. Also blocks your sound out so you're not so worried about judgment or other mm -hmm. people thinking about your experience. Um, so I think it's super rad. I also like to like do practices without where it's like the breath symphony, right? You just hear other people breathing and, and the best space is when the breath all comes together and everyone's breathing in harmony. It doesn't happen all the time. A lot of times it takes me to kind of create mm -hmm. that, but when it does happen organically, it's pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. I really view it as a, like the art form side of it. There's, you can go really deep on the science of breath work, but yeah. there's, an, there's an art to the guiding as well. And yeah. the way in which you guys curate and use music in that is incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's fun. Um, it's, um, I was thinking about it the other day too, um, you know, all the research going on in the psychedelic realm um the uh, one of the labs up at ucsf that's um dr adam gasley's lab and robin carhart harris who's come to join him in that lab they're going to be studying a lot of the set and setting yeah. um influences around psychedelics and maybe think about breath work because the way in which they're going to study this it sounds like we'll see they're they're designing everything right now and getting ready but you know they really want to understand all the visual the smells the sounds and music and yeah. all these other things that are that we're interacting with um in addition to just the medicine yeah. <laughs> itself and you know that i heard him talking the other day on a podcast and one of the hypotheses is that if they can really dial all of that experience and fine tune, they may be able to use less of the medicine and get kind of like a one plus one equals three right. situation. Makes um, sense. And I think you guys are already doing that in a lot of ways with your breath work and music and people connection. So, yeah. Um, I know you guys have a relationship with um, Dr. Jack Feldman up at UCLA. He's pioneered a lot of understanding around breath and Dr. Huberman's done some stuff with you guys um, up at Stanford. Um, is there anything you're, uh, fired up on that you've seen new in the science around breath work or anything new that you want to share? Um, I Not mean, I know Jack spot, has but... <laughs> a paper that's coming out that I'm excited to kind of see the final, final piece there. Um, uh, and then something that I've been kind of exploring is, uh, someone that Jack put us in touch with, uh, his name is Gordon Mitchell. He's out of the university of Florida. He's looking at, um, hypoxic uh, breathing protocols. Hypoxic means low oxygen. Mm -hmm. So they're administering uh, a low oxygen gas mixture to spinal cord patients to um, basically build motor plasticity. So increasing motor control in people who don't have control, you know, wow. like through a spinal cord injury. Um, and I actually invested in a machine that they use. It's called Hypoxico, and, and a lot of uh, climbers use it for being able to train to go at elevation because it's giving right. you low oxygen. Um, and so you can basically set the machine to have like a 9% oxygen mixture, which is like basically being at the summit of Mount Denali. Oh, wow. Um, and so they're exploring protocols on that, and I have some ideas and experiments that I want to self-administer. I've more just been like 
playing with it just to kind of feel the impact of it and play I have an instrument that I try to play after and just kind of see how it goes and um, I have a more like not scientific but just kind of more of a fun experience uh to try on the golf course um (laughs) so you know you can go to the golf course the driving range and they have those machines that track all of your shots right so go and hit a bunch of shots like you know baseline and then go and do some breathing with the machine and then Mm -hmm. come back and hit and see how motor control potentially could increase obviously there's no placebo uh, there, but just something fun to, to play with. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of other things that are going into that type of practice where, you know, you're increasing red blood cell count, boosting EPO, all these things. So, um, I think there's a lot of positive benefits and, and Gordon has some new research and science coming out that has informed me a little bit more as to how to actually approach it. It was more just like, uh, Let's try this, you yeah. know, and I actually just hit him up last week and he sent me uh, a new uh, review that's coming out and a new um, scientific study that he did that has a little bit more um, protocol based stuff that I'm going to kind of actually try to do now. So, um, yeah, that stuff's fun. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming out. There's so much attention on breathing right now. Um, thanks to these people like Huberman and Jack and even James Nestor in his book. And, um, there's a lot of attention going into that because obviously we're in this like massive mental health crisis and people are looking for ways to heal and not looking for external things like pills or traditional doctors and taking the control back. So, um, I'm excited to see where it all goes. I think maybe some of the things that we know now are going to be proven different um in the future and and i'm excited for that and also excited to see what else is is going to come through it all um what are that's cool and we'll put that in the show notes um reese is talking about um james Nestor's book breath which is a really cool read on breath work yeah like it's kind of like one of those i don't know if you ever read um born to run no, but I remember I've heard, that book. I've heard I, about like, that book. I, I'm not a runner, but yeah. I still love that book, even though it was about running and breath. I think is the same. Like even yeah. if you're not into breath work, it's still an interesting book. So he goes into a lot of interesting anthropology around our skull size and puts himself through some weird experiment, self experiments yeah. too, to totally. figure out his own breath. But um, a really cool read. Um, on that note, any other um, resources that you'd want to point out for people? from a breath perspective? Um, I mean, I think that book is like just a great starting point cause it's a very human, uh, uh, look at it. Like James is not a scientist. He's not like some crazy, you know, athlete or anything. He's just a nor- more or less a normal dude who just started exploring it. And, and I think he makes it super relatable to everyone and has some very simple takeaways to consider. And that's always the, really the main resource that I give people. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason it's a New York times bestseller and I think it really catapulted a lot of this into, um, into the world. So yeah, I think that that's like the main one that comes to mind. Um, I mean, Andrew's podcast too talks a lot about breathing. Um, that's the Huberman lab for everyone listening. Yeah. Yeah.
As I'm sure you noticed, when Reese sees an opportunity to make a positive wellness upgrade for both himself and his community, he has this uncanny drive to just go make it happen. I so appreciate that and I hope you do too. For the last part of this conversation, I wanted to understand how Reese defines nature, how he microdoses nature regularly, and then we close out with a unique breathwork pattern that you can use to instigate more laughter in your own life. I'm gonna ask a hard question, and I say hard, it's hard for me to answer too, as I've gone down the rabbit hole of nature connection, which I'm not the first one by any stretch, but um, it becomes increasingly confusing for me to know what nature actually is when you try to define it. So I, I'm gonna ask you the question, uh, and you can't get this wrong, there's no right or wrong answer, <laughs> I don't think, but what, what is nature to you? When you? If you tried to define nature, how would you define it? Oh uh, man, yeah, that's hard. I mean, nature is, is really everything in, the, in its living form. Uh, it's, it's all around us and it is us. And it's this uh, universal, unexplicable, cosmic, beautiful materialization of this life. Um, and I actually really truly believe that we're all connected and, and it's through our nature. Um, so I don't know. Sounds <laughs> That's pretty just perfect off to me. A, off the cuff. <laughs> it's good off the cuff. Um, how, uh, I want to give people a few practical things they can do. We did a quick breath at the top. We'll go into one on the outro, but like day to day right now, what, like if you, how to name two or three quick things that people could do to microdose nature on a more regular basis. What, what would you advise? Um, I mean, something that I try to do every single day is go outside and riot at least within the first hour of waking up is get outside and get fresh air and sun on my body and put my feet in the ground. Um, to me that always sort of, wakes me up and like creates a little bit sense of connection to nature. Um, I think starting to pay attention to your breath is going to bring you closer into your nature. Uh, whether that's just actually sitting there and putting your mind on your breath and just kind of watching it. It's a hard thing to do. The moment we start thinking about our breath, we inherently change it, but <laughs> something that we can practice to really step back and be the observer. Um, I think that's a really strong practice because then once you become aware of your breath in just the static space, then you step away and you're going to notice it way more in the moments of high arousal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then I think the other one is just look up, uh, just look up and look out and see what's around you and and just try to take it in even if it's just for a few seconds you know just remembering like we don't have to be stuck into the internal mind all the time we don't have to be stuck into our phones we don't have to be uh stuck inside we can just step out and see you look at the sky or look at the trees or even hear the hear the nature i think all that is super important 
Those are three awesome ones. <laughs> Get outside, pay attention to your breath, and look up. <laughs> awesome. Um, is there, before we do a little little breath work protocol on the end here, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to cover on breath? And also I'll say, you know, we cover a lot of Reese's um, and your history of how you got to breath. I'm sure we'll have you on in the future to go much deeper into breath because we're really <laughs> scratching the surface in a lot of ways. But is there anything right here, right now that you that we missed on breath that you'd love to get across to anyone? Um, I mean, I think like four super easy key components to understand around our breath are um, where we're taking the breath in and letting it go. So either through our nose or our mouth. And when we breathe through our mouth, that's going to be a more sympathetic driver, meaning our fight or flight response in our nervous system. When we breathe through our nose, it's going to be more parasympathetically driven. So more of that rest and digest. Also the location of your breath. So your belly versus your chest, your chest going to be more sympathetic, belly, more parasympathetic the speed of your breath so fast breathing going to be more sympathetic slow breathing more parasympathetic um, and then our inhale versus our exhale so focus on the inhale sympathetic focus on the exhale parasympathetic so those are just like four very easy components to understand to be able to like okay what happens if i breathe through my mouth in my chest fast focusing on the inhale <laughs> You know, you're going to feel something. So just something to kind of play with and, and start paying attention to. Awesome. Um, I heard you once say uh, everything we do in life has a breathing pattern associated with it, um, including laughter. <laughs> so I was hoping um, you could lead us in... A little breath I think you call the happiness breath but um, just before we jump into that I just want to say thanks for uh, giving your time energy and for all that you do uh, for so many people um, in the breathing community Reese thanks for being here today and um, look forward to breathing more in the future thank you yeah I appreciate it it's fun and honored to share and yeah lots more to come awesome um, so lead us out with a little happiness breath, if you can remember it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll just explain it really quickly and don't judge yourself. <laughs> don't judge me. Uh, it's kind of fun and, and just silly and let it be silly and makes you feel happy. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to um, sort of like keeping your mouth like your teeth close, like you're breathing in through your teeth. So, so you have like sort of this smile on your face and then on the exhale, you're going to go, ha, ah, like you're think about the Maoris doing the Haka, right? Like you're getting this charge. Um, so we'll do five breaths like that. The last breath we'll do like lion's breath. So you stick your, stick your tongue out, open your eyes really wide and like shake your head. Ah. Um, and so, yeah. For me, I always feel happy after I do this. There's another component to it, but I think just doing these five breaths will will get you there. 
So just indulge and, and play along. So Can you, Okay, so I'm going to pause for a sec. If you're driving, pull over somewhere <laughs> safe. Uh, and yeah, get safe, pull over, put the car in park. Um, and wherever else you're at, just get safe, seated, comfortable, whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, we're not doing any breath holds either, so yeah, hopefully yeah. it won't change your, you know, yeah. make you super lightheaded or yeah. anything but can you 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 demo it first though real quick so we know what one looks like and then guide us through i think so i'll just do one breath so <sighs> and <laughs> obviously you're five times. putting a putting a smile on your face and then the last one you're just gonna like open your eyes super big stick your tongue out and <sighs> yeah like you're like you're getting fired up and excited and then okay. see if you can avoid keeping a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm already laughing. All right. So let's just start on the exhale. Just let it go. And here we go. I'm going to do a couple, couple more. From this conversation with Reese and spending more time with him over the last few years, what's become abundantly clear is that one of his superpowers is curating high-stoke life experiences. And not just for himself, but to create community around it. I really hope Reese's energy for getting after it and being of service is as contagious for you as it is for me and many others. I also hope you learned a few things about breathwork. There are just so many layers to it, like movement, biochemistry, connection, all kinds of sensory experiences. While we covered a lot, we barely scratched the surface. But rest assured, we'll have Reese back on the podcast later to cover even more things he's discovering deep down the breathwork rabbit hole. If you want to learn more about Reese and breathwork, you can find Reese at Reese Peluso on Instagram or go to at our breath collective on Instagram or go to their website at www.ourbreathcollective.com for all your breathwork needs. As always, thanks for tuning in to nature junkie radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com. That's where you can find show notes, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all things nature connection, and you can even share a microdose. Yeah, send us a microdose. Of nature, that is. At Nature Junkie, we refer to brief and consistent connections to nature as microdosing nature. We love microdosing nature because it's a powerful way to create and stick with healthy habits by making them small and easy. If you each share one simple way that you love to connect with nature, then ultimately we'll create a diverse library of inspiration to help us all get and stay connected to nature. We plan to share your microdoses on our website and in future episodes of the podcast. To share yours, simply go to the bottom of any page of our website at naturejunkielife.com or email us at hello at naturejunkielife.com.
microdose nature, and replenish your stoke.